0: You're listening to Order From Ashes. This is Thanasi Kambanis. And today I'm joined by my colleague, Zach Kyler, a fellow here at Century International, who's undertaken a new line of research that looks at the political economy, power, corruption, players, human impact of the energy and electricity sector in Lebanon. Zach, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So we uh, started this this line of work recently with your first report and what we expect to be a long uh, a long project with a lot of collaborators and a lot of really fascinating questions you're raising. Uh, your first report was called "Lebanon's Grid Has Collapsed: What Comes Next," and it's available for readers on the Century Foundation's website, tcf.org, and in it you. Look at the sort of overall uh, state of play in the failing electricity sector in Lebanon and the uh, kind of crazy patchwork of of solutions that have emerged to uh, fill the gaping need. Can you give us a quick overview of what it is uh, what it is that you were asking and, and and trying to address in this first salvo?
1: So, as has been widely reported, Lebanon's power sector has collapsed since the since late two thousand nineteen early 2020, especially across 2021. And in much of this reporting and um, the analysis that has gone into diagnosing this problem, there has been a focus on the kinds of technocratic solutions that might be put into place in order to revive the power sector, which will be necessary to the economic recovery of the country. What I've been attempting to do is to show how the power sector has continued to change and evolve across uh, its collapse. And and the process has generated interest groups whose interests do not necessarily align with the creation of a revived power sector that will actually treat the various populations that live in Lebanon – equitably and provide them universal access to electricity.
0: Yeah, And that's what's so, so fascinating to me about the approach you're taking in this work. So people generally who follow Lebanon know that there's a sort of humanitarian and quality of life catastrophe around the failure of the state electricity grid, right? So this is experienced as... Electricity is not available uh, from the state. You have to buy it from a generator. It's very expensive. It's unreliable. So people have done a lot of really good work, uh, which you uh, cite, uh, documenting the human dimension of this crisis. But you're you're looking at the, let's say the the business end of of, of that gun that's pointed at the Lebanese people, which is who is running these electricity uh, sources and and who's running the grid, who's running the sources of electricity, and how are they benefiting from this dysfunctional and, and, and crazy status quo. Uh, so what's like, what's the general map? Like t- tell us I mean, and, and, and be very basic. Cause I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners, uh, with the exception of those who live in Lebanon, who have all become electricity experts just by dint of trying to, to function. W- what electricity is there? Where does it come from? What are the companies, people networks that are actually providing and benefiting from these different layers of electricity?
1: Well, to start out, there is the parastatal company Elect- uh, Electricité du Liban, or EDL. Um, it provides, it used to provide people in Beirut, say, with about twenty-one hours of electricity a day. Uh, people in Beirut were then dependent on private generator owners for about three hours of electricity per day. That number has basically flipped.
0: So b- before and so I, I want to just get a little more details about EDL. So EDL you said you just want, you described it as parastatal. What does that mean? Is it not a it's not it's not a state-owned uh electricity company. What like who owns EDL?
1: It is a company that is run by a corporation that is, exists effectively parallel to the Lebanese state um under the direction of the Ministry of Energy and Water. Uh, but it has a, a separate corporate status. It's not a, a state agency per se.
0: And is it controlled or is it one of these things like, should we think of it the same way we think of a public utility that's like, even if it's quasi independent or or has some kind of corporate status, it is effectively a state organ?
1: Effectively. I mean, it's a regulated, a regulated monopoly. Um, and across the years, um, since uh, about 2020, uh, it has stopped being able to provide the uh, residents of Lebanon with um, electricity. And in its absence, a set of owners of private generators who used to provide power about three hours a day to people in Beirut, more outside of Beirut, have come to fill in the gaps. And you know, people have exaggerated the extent to which Uh, These groups of generator owners have been enriched by this process, but they are providing more than twice the electricity that they used to. Um, This requires the purchase of quite a bit of diesel fuel to run these generators, and they have effectively— Uh, prospered as they have filled in the gaps left by the state. So that's one of the core interest groups uh, that this this commentary focuses on. The second is a group of fuel importers who occupy another important piece of the puzzle, part of the supply chain for getting electricity to Lebanon's residents. There are about 13 companies that uh, are widely reported to enjoy political connections, who dominate the importation of fuel and have been able to really get fat off of the uh, collapse of the state and the um, increasing demand for diesel for these private generators. So
0: these fuel importers are specifically importing diesel fuel that's almost exclusively used by – Generator, private generators,
1: not exclusively. I mean, I think that diesel is used for international trucking, say, uh, and these these importers uh, import, you know, gasoline for. Um, Lebanese cars, they they import all sorts of fuels. Uh, but over the last three years or so, there has been a massive increase in demand for diesel as these diesel-run private generators have become really essential to the informal grid that has emerged in the absence of the state.
0: And this is happening at a time uh, when cash is in dramatically short supply since the financial collapse that followed the 2019 uh, revolution and the sort of... Uh, let's say, turn maximal turn of the predatory Suama uh, class that runs Lebanon. So at the very moment that people have run out of money, they're also dependent on cash, presumably dollars, uh, if possible, to pay for this diesel that powers the generators and enables them to
1: live. That's exactly right.
0: And- are there any? Is there any other major group we need to be taking into account as we think about the power map? Or can I start asking questions about who who these uh, who these people are?
1: Sure. the The other major group that I look at in this commentary is the set of individuals, households and communities that have been able to carve out their a relative degree of independence from both EDL as a dysfunctional state provider of electricity and the class of generator Owners on which so much of the population is dependent. And so I've, I've lumped these, these people together, although they have somewhat distinct interests and, and different, uh, distinct ways of getting fuel and getting electricity. So, for example, there is um, Electricite du Zahle, um, which is a local power generating um, company in the city of Zahle that has existed for some time. Um, elect- uh, Electricite du Jubel, um, which is very similar to um, EDZ which has done a better job than EDL of providing electricity to the inhabitants of Jebel. And then there are the households and communities uh, that have started investing in and importing solar panels um, who have uh, really started a renewables boom in Lebanon and are able to secure electricity um, entirely separate from EDL. And independently from both uh, fuel impor- the fuel importer cartel and the cartel of generator owners.
0: And the the central insight here, I mean, as, I, I, as you know, and maybe some of our listeners do, I lived in in Lebanon for six years just just before electricity really went off the cliff. Uh, but during you know 2012 to 2018, during a period when uh, the unreliability of the state grid was increasing, and the uh, the insight that I think now uh, work like yours takes for granted, but which was kind of a new idea at the time, was that this is not a technical problem. Because initially people spoke about this, and by people, I mean everyone from so, you know, people in the Lebanese government, people in the private sector who have a, an interest in investing and in and building potentially profitable uh, schemes to provide electricity and uh, international donors, they all spoke of this as if it were a technical challenge. And they would look at Zahle, where the uh, the the power comp- the local power company there succeeded at providing a reliable stream of electricity. And they were looking at the sort of technically, you know, what did they do technically? And, and the answer was not technical. The answer was political. It had to do with uh, human networks of power rather than physical networks in a grid. Uh, And can you explain like what, like what's the problem? Who's getting in the way of, of, uh, of addressing this otherwise straightforward technical challenge of providing electricity. And what I'll remind our listeners is a pretty small country of, you know, depending on whose estimate you take four to 6 million people, uh, not a, you know, smaller than New Jersey. This is not a huge electrification uh, uh, challenge in any technical sense.
1: Right. I mean, so people have been running grids for quite some time now. um, And there is uh, a wide array of experts who, you know, know, who understand the technical problems involved in running grids. One of the major issues, uh, I think, has been. The collapse of Lebanon's natural gas supply after 2013 with the shutdown of the Arab gas pipeline, which was fundamentally a a political problem. But since then and across time, the fundamental issue has been that... There are actors within the Lebanese political system who are able to insert themselves and collect rents effectively on their capacity to get involved in every aspect of the importation of fuel, the provision of power through private generators, and to essentially siphon resources out of the power provision system that ought to be going to what is fundamentally a a Pretty straightforward set of technical problems
0: so who is who controls these uh these generators and these uh and the the fuel import is it uh is it's like i'm i'm guessing are all the major political parties have a an organized crime slice of this trade but is it like how does it work uh, both with the diesel and with the generators themselves
1: so on the diesel and fuel importation set of the problem. There is a set of about 13 companies who import fuel from abroad. There's one, Coral Oil, which has uh, reportedly privileged access to foreign currency and is effectively able to coordinate the importation and financing the importation of fuel on behalf of these other companies. And together, they constitute an oligopoly that is effectively protected by the state. Um, Relatively recently, uh, just as the crisis was starting to unfold in 2019, the Lebanese government introduced um, another company In an attempt to force competition within this sector, that company was called ZR Energy, and its owners, the Rahme brothers, have recently been sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury for alleged corrupt practices in their importation of um, fuel uh, in connection with um, Algerian company Sonatrog. And so the the Rahme brothers are understood to enjoy political connections. They were understood to have structured their deal with the Lebanese state in order to artificially inflate their profits. And you could reasonably expect that the political forces that engineered this deal with them saw, you know, material benefit in in allowing uh, that that money to be skimmed out by by ZR energy. And so – it's my understanding that these sorts of deals um, that involve actors in both the you know sensibly private sector and their political patrons take place at at every level of um, uh, you know fuel importation and electricity provision in the country.
0: What about the generators themselves? Are these are these uh, well the, the 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 people who run these neighborhood generators? Are they part of syndicates? Are they part of a, a big mafia? What's what's the deal?
1: So the generator owners. Are uh, by and large, you know, private owners of of generators at a at a household or neighborhood level. They have a syndicate, um, but they also coordinate with one another informally and are widely understood to have the uh, pr- have political protection from um, their various political patrons, and. You know these these operations are are technically illegal, right? Um, they and there have been attempts by the Lebanese state to regulate them, but they they operate within this legal gray zone where the government knows uh, that they are operating, uh, but there is there's no incentive. In terms both of service provision and in terms of embedded political interests in in actually effectively regulating them or or banning their their uh, their existence.
0: You're listening to Order from Ashes. I'm Thanasi Kambanis talking with Zach Kyler about the crazy electricity grid in Lebanon and what are the uh, uh, sort of political structures that control it. We'll be right back after a short break. Thanks for listening.
1: Today's world is changing faster than ever. Old rules don't apply, and the new rules haven't been written. At least not yet. I'm Rohan Advani, and I produce the Order from Ashes podcast at the Century Foundation, a leading progressive think tank that promotes peace, cooperation, and equality at home and abroad. On Order from Ashes, we try to make sense of a new international system in which America no longer dictates the global order. Join us as we talk to activists and analysts on the front lines of the most pressing issues in international policy.
0: Welcome back to Order from Ashes. I'm Thanasi Kambanis, and I'm here uh, in New York talking to Zach Kyler about Lebanon's power grid. And right before the break, uh, we were talking about the uh, the mobsters, such as, well, let's call them organized criminal figures with political dimensions who control the uh the the Lebanon uh, the lebanese uh uh informal power grid neighborhood generators imported diesel uh and uh uh in the second half of, of our conversation I'm I'm hope, hoping we'll we'll sort of move towards and maybe even end up hearing some ideas about uh what viable solutions might look like uh and also what are the what are the sort of Avenues for for further study, uh, but I just I want to I want to share a little quick anecdote. I remember uh, I forget the exact year, but it was in the mid mid twenty fifteen uh, after twenty fifteen uh, when uh, Zahle's power plant fully went online with enough power to cover the city's needs. Uh, there was an attack on the power plant. Uh, uh, you know, it was uh, machine guns, thugs. Uh, no one was hurt, um, and it was. Uh, understood to be the generator mafias of Zahle striking back against the plant because their livelihood, their corrupt and parasitic livelihood uh, was being taken away. And in that case, the reason why um, the, the the power uh, plant prevailed, which was in the interest of the people who lived there, was because there was a, 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 sing- a single control in that area by one political faction. Uh, and they were able, through informal channels, to to strong-arm those generator owners into essentially accepting the loss of their of of their like parasitic rent uh, revenue, uh, but when you look at this on a national level, you're dealing with a series of 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 people who are enriching uh, factions up to the very top. Through a form of of revenue that is it's all cash and it's all unregulated. So, uh, w- you know, when we look at this and we think, of course, it's in the interest of Lebanon and Lebanese to have a functional power grid and and utility that provides real, reliable electricity at a regulated price. But in fact, that's a uh, that's a that's an abstract way of looking at at what the people who have power in Lebanon want, and they actually don't care at all whether people get reliable electricity, they care whether there are cash streams of revenue that they can control and steal from. So it turns out that effective, an effective state provision of services is anathema to the interests of the key stakeholders of the state. Uh, So uh, when you uh, were were sort of describing and diagnosing what what happens here, I guess one do you do you share that that the the, the view I just described as this being essentially a a, a question of finding a way to uh, uh, to absorb co-opt control crush whatever these uh, these these powerful powerful syndicates um, and and if so how have you started to think about mapping or or otherwise uh, addressing from a policy perspective this this like power human power map.
1: So I think, yeah, I think that cuts to the core of the problem. There are actors who are getting rich from the system that currently exists. The system that currently exists is necessary to the everyday life of, you know, the residents of Lebanon, um, Lebanese and non-Lebanese. And... You know, a lot of these actors are just willing to use force, as we've seen over and over again, in order to protect their interests. What concerns me—so I understand that there is a great deal of cynicism, rightly so, about national-level and state-level politics in Lebanon. And I see this talked about in the power sector through, you know, plans to revive— the grid through forms of decentralization, basically allowing and and encouraging the um, formation of community-level plans for power provision, either with community-level solar or models like EDZ and EDJ. Ultimately, though, a decentralized system of that sort would essentially deny a basic service to the wide swath of the population who would either be unlucky enough to not live in one of these communities that's able to create a functional system against the political resistance, the people who benefit from the current system, or who are unable to purchase power from themselves by whatever means. I mean,
0: so right. So if uh, if you were to pers- if if such a decentralized approach were like if if different communities were to pursue it, uh, fir- first question: Does the current existing grid infrastructure allow that? Would something new have to be built in terms of infrastructure? Or could, or could you city by city, village region by region, just have your own? power and share it locally and not somehow be subject to, uh, the limits or the, the function of the existing grid.
1: I think that that is a, you know, a a choice that, uh, people are looking at, but, um, these are the sorts of questions that I'd like to, um, get into on, on the technical end of things and this line of research.
0: So that's like where once we start thinking about this as a, as a political, uh human power problem we, we we'll, we''ll see from you future research that that uh, uh, that looks I I think this is um so important because for such a long time uh the fundamental crisis of livelihood in Lebanon and and frankly in a lot of places that suffer from similar misgovernance by entrenched corrupt elites has been, Erroneously framed as a development challenge, as a management or other sort of technocratic uh, matter, and I think none of these none of these problems certainly in Lebanon are uh, are complicated in terms of their literal engineering solution. They're incredibly complicated in terms of the political power uh, factions that have vested interest in the in the status quo and have a vested interest in resisting any kind of change and what i see as fundamentally absent is any kind of really detailed or or uh, authoritative description or mapping of who's doing what so we sort of know in general that this or that political figure or this or that faction has a hold on you know trade at the port or power distribution or generators here or fuel there, but no one's actually said, okay, these six wealthy people who are protected by these six political leaders are monopolizing the diesel trade and are using violence to prevent anyone from build- building a new grid. Uh, is, that, is that kind of work doable? I mean, how, how, does, how does a researcher, policy researcher, pursue that kind of information?
1: Well, of course, people are going to be very protective of this Sort of information, but there are people who are already doing this kind of work uh, who I'd really like to be involved in this project. You know, and and from it's my understanding um, that uh, there are a lot of people who just want to make their case for why they are a necessary component of the electricity service provision system as it currently exists in Lebanon. I mean, people generally want to want to make their case, and so. You know, of course, there are things that people aren't willing to say. You know, nobody is going to say that they'll use coercion in order to protect their monopoly power. But it's my understanding that people generally are interested in making their case and, de- you know, defending their interests rhetorically. Um, and so effectively, what what we want to do in this project is uh, talk to as many people as possible about how things are evolving their understanding of why that why things are evolving as they are and from that build a map of uh, who the relevant actors are what their interests are what sort of power that they wield in order basically to understand how we could move forward and um you know for those who are interested in this create an equitable grid that provides universal access to electricity for people living in Lebanon
0: is there is there a critical mass in sort of halls of power and people who study, in general, who study governance around viewing electricity as a as a as a central and more more important uh, uh, whether it's object of study or object of policy making? And I have in mind this recent Human Rights Watch report about electricity in Lebanon, which uh, uh, does some of the work of trying to define. Electricity is a human right, and I'm also thinking of the initiative the U.S. government has taken, although it hasn't completely worked. Uh, but in a re- in a region where it hasn't paid a lot of attention to uh, human. Condition and governance in general, they've actually put some real diplomatic, uh, creative diplomatic effort into trying to come up with a solution that would provide electricity to Lebanon using uh, Egyptian gas and transiting the electricity through Syria. And not to sidetrack us into a conversation about that particular deal, but just that raises the the idea that electricity has become a central issue, where whereas, for example, human rights, a mistreatment of people, free speech, torture have not been really galvanizing uh, questions for for policymakers.
1: I think, in the case of Lebanon in particular, it a, it's such a fundamental issue that it's. I think it makes a great deal of sense that that you know international actors would be so invested in getting the power sector in Lebanon working in order to support sort of a broader economic recovery. And I think also it's the kind of issue around which there, you know, there's a ostensible consensus, right? It's it's you know, access to electricity, I think, is widely understood to be a basic service that people expect from the state, people associate it with modernity, and obviously it's just essential to almost all economic activity uh, in, in the year 2023. And I think also it attracts attention because it presents itself as effectively a technical problem that just requires expert intervention and a certain amount of resources that could provide a good that everybody agrees ought to be provided. But I think that this perspective on electricity, this way of approaching electricity as a problem, fundamentally ignores critical political dimensions. And in ignoring those uh, political dimensions of the problem, I think that this approach can trip itself up.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, I have uh, a, a lot of thoughts as I, as I listen to you talk, and I'm kind of struck by how, uh, uh, in you know, in practice, Lebanon has been a real sad long running experiment in like what happens if you just neglect every single public good and public service, privatize it, leave it to communities, see if people can survive without it. And what we've what we found over the last 15, 20 years is uh, uh, people can survive. They can't thrive, but they can survive without effective state run schools, health services, uh, you know, food distribution all the things that, that you expect the state to either provide or backstop. People have found ways really imaginative, uh, uh, to provide for themselves and survive in the, in the, not just the absence of state provision, but a sort of hostile state, a hostile predatory state that gets in the way. Uh, and, when i when i look at your work it, it it it's it was the first time it crystallized for me that like oh electricity was really the the last thing to go. I mean, on the on the one hand, it, it you know state neglect from the get go, but like you could get twenty four hour electricity long after you couldn't get decent healthcare uh, or you know find all these other things you would expect a state to provide. And now this has finally cracked as well because in the end, you can't provide these things without some kind, without the state. If there's no state involvement, it 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 doesn't work forever. Uh, so. I guess that's not really a question, but just uh, a, a response to this work and 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 why I'm really excited about uh, what you, what you can learn by by peeling back the technocratic uh, uh, veil over this and looking at the actual political uh, problem that that that's inside this this like malfunctioning machine.
1: I think that one of the reasons that this attracted me as an area of research is that there is a long long history of people being left out by the Lebanese state and in a lot of cases the solution to that the failures of the Lebanese state has i think been you know fantasies about decentralizing power and almost a re- romanticization of what people have done um in the absence of a state that treats them as citizens And I think that it is a dangerous road to go down to treat this fundamental service as something that people can effectively provide for themselves because, as I think is pretty clear in Lebanon, as in other countries where the state provision of electricity has collapsed, people can't actually adequately provide sufficient electricity for themselves. This is technically – a form of service that really requires coordination. And if you you insist on people, the idea that that people will simply be able to buy solar panels for themselves and leapfrog over the fossil fuel system, what you're effectively doing is condemning a large proportion of the country's already poor population to more extreme poverty.
0: Yeah. And as you, as you write in, uh, in your commentary, uh, resolving this crisis is, uh, is key to resolving Lebanon's general overall crisis. And, you know, it's my, it's my view that every single one of the many, many human created, uh, livability disasters, uh, in Lebanon, every single one of them is existential for the warlords and, and, organized crime bosses who control the country, because if you were the only solution to any of these crises is political and it involves taking away, uh, uh, some of their power and either co-opting them or subjugating them to a state system. And so whether it's garbage reform or electoral reform or any, you know, the, the slightest, uh, uh, effort to change the status quo, they fight it tooth and nail because they've correctly diagnosed that they have zero legitimacy in their entire, uh, their entire gambit is based on this predatory relationship where they completely subjugated, uh, uh, governed class, you know, people who don't really have most of the privileges that we come to associate with citizenship. So, uh, n- you know, we've sort of run through all the first second third order uh, uh uh things that that people need to live and now we're down to like the last one and and you know you can't have food without a cold chain in in the modern world you can't have you know you can't have a city without electricity to power elevators and so on and so, and so forth this just, it's at the, it's it, it underlies everything and uh and I think uh it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this next crisis plays out for Lebanon and what we learn about uh, who's who's holding uh, who's holding the country hostage uh, and how one could change those political relationships? Zach, thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
0: You've been listening to Order from Ashes. I'm Thanasi Kambanis. I've been talking with our fellow Zach Kyler, who's uh, leading a new line of research here at Century International on the political economy of Lebanon's energy sector. Uh, you can read his most recent report on this at the Century Foundation's website, tcf.org. The report, uh, it's a commentary, actually. Uh, it's entitled, Lebanon's Grid Has Collapsed, What Comes Next? Uh, you can expect a lot more from Zach and uh, his collaborators on this project in the uh, year to come. And uh, thanks for listening. Until next time, uh, this is Thanasi Kambanis at Century International. Order from Ash's podcast has been brought to you by Century International. Our work builds on more than 100 years of commitment to international peace, security and governance at the Century Foundation. We are independent, critical and progressive. For more information about Century International's work, please visit tcf.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We depend on audience feedback to reach new listeners. If you like what you hear, please leave a review wherever you get your
1: podcasts.